Line pulls out a giant eraser, words in cycling we could do without. We start a new movement on the Pace Line, the Gratuity Movement. 650B, 27 and a half, whatever it's called, the new wheel size on the block is spreading quickly. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels with three hosts. We are back with more exploits from the world of cycling. The Pace Line, supported by FatCyclist.com. Fatty is here after a few days of gallivanting and celebrating. Oh, yeah. We've been in southern Utah. I am sunburned and just uh, happy to have celebrated six years of being married. Uh, yes, uh, happy anniversary to both you and the Hammer. Uh, RedKitePrayer.com, one of the places you can find the Pace Line. And, of course, a place to bookmark for the very best in bicycle riding. That's why we've given RKP's Patrick Brady a speaking role. <laughs> so speak. Uh, howdy. Uh, nice to be back. Yes, uh, back from uh, the North American Handmade Bike Show, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, guys, spring is uh, less than a month away. The cycling calendar has started to get interesting with two semi-classics in the books, Kern Brussels Kern and Omloop. Uh, the product wars warming up as we get closer to Sea Otter. And the pace line has its first listener response. And this is not just a comment on the show, but a kind of a review of a topic we covered last show, riding with your significant other. Now, the three of us attempted to discuss and advise how to include your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, partner into your bike activities. The mistake we made, of course, and admitted to on the show was not including women <laughs> in our discussion. But we did hear from someone, and it was a woman. Thank goodness. Yes. I'm glad for this. Fatty, we, we, we got a response to this topic, and, and what was the advice we got? Sure, let's read um, Michelle's uh, email to us, and I'll, I'll just sort of jump right to the heart of it. She said, I wanted to share some thoughts from the flip side. As both one, a woman who has led women's skills slash Devo programs for three years, and two, half of marriage, where my husband is the better cyclist, usually. So someone who has some cred in, the, in this. First, the fire you were talking about, that glimmer of pushing yourself deep, rarely comes from your partner only. I really believe that to fall in love with cycling, you need confidence apart from your partner, and you need to be part of a community that knows you first, your partner second. Helping your lady find those things apart from you will be incredibly valuable. One option is Lori Lee Lowndes' excellent weekend camps in California, and that's at SavvyBike.com camps. And she also references a more local one, and we'll reference it in the, in the show notes because it's a very long URL. Second, for men out there, get close to your problem. That is, get to know the rare women hammers on your group rides. Ask them how they got stronger and if they have any local ideas. My husband is a mountain biker and I am a trackie. We both have been riding for several years before getting together, but most of our racing years have been during our eight-year relationship. Currently, we're both cat two-ish riders in our respective genders, which means he's stronger. Learning to find mountain bike together was especially a challenge because the gap was so big at first, but finding good women friends to ride with and learn from, including a few clinics and lessons, has gotten me to the point where I enjoy mountain biking on my own. This means he doesn't need to push me during our trail rides together, and I have enough confidence and skills to enjoy it, whether it's a good day or a meh day on the trails. Win-win. I love shooting off at the mouth about this stuff. I'd really appreciate you reading this. And we appreciate you writing to us, Michelle. Thanks much. Absolutely. I think the, I think the point, at least the, the point I drew out of the, of the letter 
was that it's it's great that couples want to ride together, but if your goal is to really ride together, in other words, kind of match each other or or closely match each other, there's a route to that. There's a way to get about that. And it may be to go outside of your relationship and to consult others. Maybe the, the weaker rider goes and looks for an area where they can improve their skills and then comes back to the partnership for some co-riding. And then for the stronger rider, for them to ask other riders who maybe have moved up the chain a little bit, hey, how did you get here and how can I help my partner do the same? And I think that was the point of the letter, to, to kind of go, to work outside of your relationship, to work in, to, to make the relationship work inside. Yeah. At least on the bike, as, as, as far as the bike is concerned. Yeah, I, I agree. My favorite part of the letter was her talking about uh, riders developing, you know, other friendships, uh, you know, gender-oriented uh, uh, friendships within the sport. Uh, that's something I've certainly seen that has been a, a big piece in uh, women making the sport their own so that it's not just this thing that they do with their significant other that's when it really starts to become their own sport. And uh, I think that she's spot on. That's a big, important piece of this. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's a great indication that the pace line is on the map, guys. We are uh, getting folks to respond to what we talk about, good Yay. or bad. And, yeah, it's cool. And I, it's really good input. We, we invite the input. We want to we want to hear from listeners of the pace line about what you think. Sure not only just about the show in general, but about specific topics. We, tr- we try to take positions here we try to take uh, firm points here we're not afraid to do that and we want to hear from you folks whether you agree or not with the points we take so thanks again for listening and for for writing back and fatty thanks for sharing that uh, letter with us uh we're just coming off of the north american handmade bike show as well we talked about that last show guys and patrick you were a judge up at the show in uh yeah sacramento uh, look like uh, a lot of you're still posting on this on redkiteprayer.com at least <laughs> yeah. this morning I, I saw a fresh post on the award winners give us uh, boy give us the highlights of the show what was the theme what was kind of the general feeling you walked away from when you left Sacramento well it was a it was a big show uh, I believe it was 167 exhibitors um, and it was very well attended um, I've I've heard uh, some rumblings that this may have been the best attended show ever I know that when we were handing out awards on Saturday, uh, as I was walking the floor with the microphone trying to get from one booth to another uh, with my minions to hand out the ribbons, it was actually pretty hard to get through the show floor. That was it was sort of comical. Uh, Don was up on stage calling out, you know, uh, and who's next? And I'm, you know, still only halfway there. Um, let's see. Uh, Black Cat Cycles was our best in show. This was a really terrific uh 27.5 plus mountain bike um but it was a bike packing bike and uh the bags instead of being um attached with velcro uh todd had done a series of brazons on the top tube and down tube so that the main triangle bag could be secured with brazons just the the uh, the bag bolted directly to the bike and so it left uh, more tubes open so that you could see the paint and you're not going to wear the paint away with those velcro tr- to uh, with those velcro straps um, it was a really gorgeous bike just super well thought out and part of what appealed to us was that this was um, uh, this bike was destined for the owner of bedrock bags uh, 
And so it was his idea to, hey, let's do this, you know, without Velcro straps to make it really clean looking. And uh, it was it was a real stunner. Um, Mark Danucci was showing off a bike um, that happens to be mine. Um, and it got a whole lot of attention. Um, it used the new tube set for which he did all the CAD files. Same with the lugs, did all the CAD files himself. Um, and uh, added some brass fillets to the lug transitions, thinned the points. There's more than 100 hours of labor in that bike. And then it went off to uh, Joe Bell and Johnny Pucci uh, for paint. And uh, the paint, uh, a white pearl with some stripes of red, orange, yellow, and blue, uh, was inspired by psychedelic pop art of the 60s. Uh, I've been calling it the Yellow Submarine bike. <laughs> and uh, it, it got a whole lot of attention. But because it was my bike... Uh, we decided that uh, awarding, even really having it be a finalist for uh, Best in Show was probably going to be problematic and might burn down our credibility. Um, I could see people saying, oh, the judging was rigged. Uh, so we recused it from the award and we gave it an honorable mention for Best in Show. Um, so the, the not quite Best in Show maybe is the way to put it. Uh, but that bike got a whole lot of attention. Um, John Watson over at the Radivist did a really nice photo gallery of that bike. Um, let's see. Other bikes. Mosaic had two bikes that were uh, part of our final conversation for Best in Show. Um, one was a steel road bike that weighed in right around 15 pounds, which is Ooh. a hell of an achievement. Yeah. Um, and then there was the how? fact that it wait was... Wait a second, wait a second. Before you go, how do you get a steel bike down to 15 pounds? Well, uh, you use True Temper S3 tubing. That's part of it. Uh, you also use tubulars. Uh, and then you use SRAM ETAP. And mm. that triumvirate of, of wonderfulness uh, will, will get you into that range. It also helps that it wasn't a 61-centimeter frame. I want to say it was probably 52, 53, somewhere in that range. My size. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, and then there was a gravel bike. Um, the road bike was, uh, was built up by uh, Tony Bustamante at Velosmith Bicycle Studio, uh, my old buddy from my Belgium knee warmer days. Uh, he's Radio Freddy. And uh, then the gravel bike was a titanium gravel rig, uh, uh, Shimano DI2 hydraulic, um, you know, great tire choice, a brand new tire from Clement. Um, and you know Wait, a lot was of that times, the Ericsson you 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 no. uh, wrote something about the Ericsson you guys glowed about it yeah so the Ericsson got best cross slash gravel bike but this particular bike um, if memory serves it was entered into best road bike instead of best gravel bike um, you know uh, exhibitors have you know pretty unlimited leeway how to enter something. Of course, if you enter a mountain bike in best track, it may not fare so well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the line between road and gravel, it's a little blurry there. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to know just where to enter a bike. Yeah, especially at NABs where I, where I saw guys doing, you know, wider stays and more clearance for tires. The, the two kind of, there's a lot of crossover. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a blurry line. Um but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I think it's uh, the fact that people are seeing that line as, you know, sort of malleable or blurry. 
um, it speaks to you know how these bikes. It's it's not as clear cut as like with a cyclocross bike, um, because people very often have to ride a certain amount of asphalt before they get to the dirt. You know, and they may ride dirt for a while, and then the dirt may give out, and they may be back on the asphalt for a while. Um, and so having a bike that'll still feel quick on the road, I think, is a pretty important piece of this. The yeah, great- speaking of riding, did you guys get to do any riding? I saw lots of beautiful bikes. Were there people riding any of these things? Um, you know, in the evenings after the show was over, the city was crawling with people on bikes. And what was especially cool was they weren't just riding their show bikes. There were people with old treks out there, uh, Univegas, just kind of whatever they had handy. Um, the city was was crawling with cyclists at night. Uh, people riding to parties. Um, Bruce Gordon and Mark Norstad uh, revived uh, Sopwamtos, the society of people who make their own stuff. Uh, and they gave out some pretty hilarious awards. That was a very fun portion of the evening. Uh, the bar also happened to be showing Smokey and the Bandit as we were there. And somehow the, the combination of Sopwamtos, Smokey and the Bandit, and Paps Blue Ribbon made for a, a properly lowbrow evening. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, a really yeah, good know, gathering. Right. I, so examining some of the other things there, I saw more than just custom bikes, too. There were custom shoes. Yeah. Saddles being assembled, a bike frame that came off a 3D printer, for goodness sakes. Yep. A custom spider to improve chain lines. So it's not just handmade bikes, but all these other interesting handmade products that were that were very cool to watch uh, and see come out of NABS. Now, the other big thing that, of course, comes out of NABS is they announce the next city. Where are they going to move the show to next year? Well, our buddy Eldon is going to get to visit the show next year. It's going to be in Salt Lake City. All right. Finally, yeah. I'll get to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited. Um, you know, I'm really hopeful that this will be a good location for the show. Yeah, Fatty, you see yourself uh, drooling there over the, the custom bikes uh, come the spring or rather late winter of 2017? Oh, you know, it's, it's so many dream bikes and so many people who just create these beautiful things. And I've only ever been able to look at them as photos and of course fantastic photography is one thing but seeing it in person is so different and i'm excited yeah yeah cool awesome so salt lake city for late winter 2017 yeah for nabs um there's more at redkiteprayer.com if you want to catch up on what happened at 2016 north american handmade bike show in sacramento some uh, very cool bikes to look at um, and I, I thought, Patrick, we talked about this last week, how, how these bikes are, are art. But again, going back to the Ericsson, I, I looked at that bike and I wanted it. I, I wanted it for this weekend. I want to ride it right now. I want to go out and thrash that thing and get it dirty and muddy. There were use, useful bikes there, useful product there, right? It's oh, not just art. You know, I, nobody shows up with something that's meant to just hang on your mantelpiece, you know. Um, most of these bikes... Uh, are you know destined for a customer? Uh, I mean, uh, Steve Potts made a joke that if he didn't have patient customers, he wouldn't have had anything to show. Every one of his bikes that he displayed was sold to a customer. Um, you know, the same thing for Danucci. Uh, there was my bike. There was a painted frame that was uh, being held up from you know arriving at a customer, and then he had another frame that he showed that was bare. That one best lugs. 
Um, and that bike, you know, uh, when he gets back, uh, it's going to go off to the painter and then off to the customer. So, you know, yeah, these aren't kind of theoretical creations. Um, a lot of the wildest stuff, though, I will say, will be bikes that the builders have built for themselves. You know, these are their own personal pet projects. And I I think the the show is at its most successful. The bikes are most interesting um, when they're displaying something that, you know, this is a, a particular response to a particular desire. You know, much the way my Danucci is, uh, that bike packing uh, mountain bike from Black Cat. You know, these are these are bikes meant to be used by particular people in a particular circumstance. And that's when you find the really interesting answers. Mm. Well, Patrick, thanks for bringing your coverage to us. And we look forward to any more photos you have or words that you have on NABs. It's always an interesting uh, display. And it's not all highbrow. It's not all steel also. There's some carbon entries in there. So yeah. I encourage folks to go to redkiteprayer.com, check out the photos and the words from our Patrick Brady. Up next, guys, this is going to be a really cool and interesting topic, one I've been looking forward to for a couple weeks now. The next time you are figuring out the tip at a restaurant, we say, remember your bike mechanic. We'll explain next on The Pace Line. This is a little thing on the pace line we like to call take a poll. It's pretty straightforward. We put a topic on the table, and then each of us takes turn at the front. And this time, we want to talk about tipping, gratuities. This round of take a poll was inspired, in fact, by a blog post by Fatty on fatcyclist.com on tipping your bike mechanic. Is this a new concept to folks? It might be. Have you ever thought about tipping your bike mechanic? Does it occur to you that this person might actually need a tip to get by financially? Uh, I want to actually do a little excerpt here from from Fatty's uh, blog post. The accepted common wisdom, it seems to me, is that if your mechanic does a good job, they get nothing. If they do an amazing job, a miraculous job, you give them some beer. The common wisdom notes that bike shop mechanics are happy to receive the beer, but I would assert that the mechanics are simply being polite in the same way that anytime anyone gives you anything, you act happy to receive it. Fatty, you have some tips for tipping your bike mechanic. Uh, Where do you start and where do you go with this? Okay, so first of all, everyone should know I live in Utah where beer is not as common of a thing for mechanics to enjoy. So, you know, put that, you know, keep that, keep that in mind and use that as the grain of salt you should take. That said, I've talked with a number of mechanics, both inside and outside of Utah, and a lot of them say, well, if I do like beer, it may not be the kind you give me. And you cannot use beer to pay the rent or groceries or utilities. So what I propose is the simple 20% rule. That these mechanics are incredibly skilled but are not getting paid a lot of money. You ought to pay them 20% on the labor. So that's not saying if you pay, if, if you pay 
$10,000 for a new bike and have it built, of course you don't need to pay $2,000 to the mechanic. But you are paying for a bike build and, you know, that is, you know, maybe a $200 thing. Pay $40 for to the mechanic for a tip because they have done something really great that you are not able to do as well. So, simple 20% rule. Round it, double it, drop a digit. Okay. Now, you posted this on fatcyclist.com. Oh, yeah. And I imagine you got some replies to this. What have been some of the comments you've received about this idea of tipping a bike mechanic? Well, the, the comments went from saying, hey, wow, I've never thought about that before, and I've tipped with beer in the past, and I'm going to start tipping with money instead because, yeah, mechanics generally are not rich and need money more than they need beer. I've also got a number of people saying tipping is ridiculous. These are people who already get paid. They're getting paid a fair wage. And just like I don't tip my uh, car mechanic, why should I tip my bike mechanic? And I got everything in between. Um, I would say that the, the I don't tip my car mechanic, I'm not going to tip my bike mechanic, I think that's off base. The idea that uh, many uh, folks tip their mechanics in beer works great if you have a good relationship with that mechanic already, know that they are not a recovering alcoholic, and know that the kind of beer that you generally bring them is something that they really enjoy. Um, you know, same thing if you know they love pizza, bring them pizza while they build your bike or whatever. Yeah. Uh Patrick, I'm going to get to your comments in a second because you have experience in uh, shops and working as a bike mechanic. But I want to back Fatty's argument up with a little data. Mm -hmm. um, and according to salary.com, the average bike mechanic is making about $22,300 a year. You compare, that with the, you compare that with the average gardener who makes $29,000 a year. The average janitor makes $25,000 a year. The average personal income in the U.S. is $40,000 a year. It costs $20,000 a year just to get by. That's cost of living in the U.S. So $22,337, the average salary, that was average a few years ago, is just barely above the cost of living. And that's what generally, now in very state to state, uh, California bike mechanic averages a little higher. He's going to be twenty seven, twenty eight. Of course, it costs a fortune to live here. Mississippi is below twenty thousand a year. Patrick, you've worked in shops in the industry. What's your perspective on tips and giving out tips and being tipped? Well, you know, beer costs money, and so you know there is a value to giving beer. L let me say that first up. Um, I never worked in any shops where. Uh, tipping was really a practice. So this is something as a, that has emerged, you know, since my time in shops. And I think it's a really wonderful thing. Um, you know, showing your appreciation uh, to the mechanic in question, I think is the first most important piece of this. Do something for the mechanic, okay? Um, and I know plenty of mechanics who are plenty happy uh, to receive beer, um, you got to be careful. You know, you can't give them the beer too early in the day. A buddy of mine uh, here in Sonoma County uh, tipped in something else, uh, a little greener, often referred to as Bud, um, because he doesn't 
he got some and it's not a big part of his life. And so he passed it on to the mechanics and uh, he was rather suspicious that maybe they had sampled the product before finishing his bike because the headset wasn't quite right. That was a, that was pretty funny. You know, you you smoke (laughs) afterward, afterward, not during. Um, But uh, I, you know, I love the idea of tipping in cash. That's really great. I could see how in some circumstances that might be a little awkward, uh, but you know, uh, giving a mechanic an Andrew Jackson or two, that's, yeah, let's, you know, let's make that more of a thing. These guys, you know, they work very hard and, you know, I would submit that, you know, being a mechanic now requires a much higher degree of knowledge than it used to. That's you know, right. Bleeding hydraulic lines, knowing how to route DI2, uh, you know, making Disc sure breaks. Yeah, a, a, a multitude of kinds. I mean, it's the it's not it's kind of like similar to everyone used to be able to fix their own car. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now it you're not going to open a Honda. Skill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, our, our bike mechanics are incredibly skilled, and they have to be trained and certified, and treating them as if they were unskilled laborers is uh, unfair and disrespectful. Well, it seems like tipping might be, you know, something you do for someone who serves you food. The fact is it's an an acknowledgement of skill and of ability and essentially showing gratitude for fantastic work done for way too little pay. Well, and, and the other thing is, you know, let's be honest here. There are times when you need help right now. Um, and you know, if you've been in the habit of tipping your mechanic and you walk in at four o'clock on a Friday and you've got an event the next day, or even just a big group ride, you know, and you need some help, the fact that you've been good to them and have shown your appreciation all along, you may well move to the front of the line. You know, they remember the people who remember them and, uh, you know, showing your appreciation is one way to stay in their good graces. Mm-hmm. Fatty, I, I've done the beer thing. I'll, I'll admit to that. It works. Uh, I, I see smiles on the mechanics' faces when I walk out. It's very easy to do. You can, you know, walk into the shop and clearly put the beer down and, and put it back there in the mechanics' area, and you tell them all to share it or, or what have you. Cash is a little different, though. I mean, cash is more personal. It's more individual. Do you have you figured out a protocol? Do you pull the mechanic aside? Do you do it in front of? The other mechanics who might be there, how do you handle that? I don't know if it is true just in Utah, but there's often a tip jar on the counter. And you just put the money in the tip jar if there is one. If you want to make sure it gets straight to a particular mechanic, then I just give it to the mechanic if he is there. If she is not there, then I give the money to someone else and say, would you please make sure that this gets to the mechanic who worked on this? And, you know, I don't know for sure that it does. It's possible that they pocket it and don't do anything, you know, don't give it to the right person. But, you know, I've done what I can, and I'm not going to let it uh, consume my life. Mm-hmm. I have extended tipping beyond uh, mechanics, too. I've had uh, folks in bike shops go above and beyond the call of duty uh, to do things for me. I was uh, in... Boy, here it comes again. Leadville. Sorry about that, folks. Always seems to come up. But I was there with a cracked frame and supposed to race the Leadville Trail 100 in a few days. 
and I could not find a replacement bike anywhere in the state of Colorado. Called to my home shop, Synergy Cycles in Santa Monica. Uh, Jim Whitsett, who's the, who was the general manager there, he since moved on, uh, checked his inventory and said, mm, I, have, I have a bicycle here. I have a stump jumper, hardtail, just like yours. I'll get it to you in a day. Wow. He overnighted the thing to me. I had it in time for the race uh, and uh, was able to go buckle because he pulled it off. So uh, not just mechanics, but there are other people in, in the shop who you know, are capable and do come through in the clutch. And I rewarded him, not with direct cash, but something cash-like. Um, and I thought it was well-deserved. Um, and same with mechanics. I, I, Fatty, I think you're right on here. Uh, now, your, your formula, you have... You have some augmentations to it too, right? Uh, for instance, the above and beyond tip. That's right. Are there, That's are there right. Other things where they deserve more than 20%, correct? Oh, absolutely. If uh, if they repair your repair, that is you tried building or truing a wheel and jacked it up worse, you need to pay them more because they are doing more work. They are saving your bacon. Amen. Uh, if you bring in a very... Uh, vague description of what you need done there's a noise somewhere here and it may be in the bottom bracket or it may be in the headset and it turns out it's in the seat post then uh, you know make it 30 percent instead of 20 (laughs) percent if you are if they are going above the call uh, call of duty and they are swapping you out of the out of the uh, swapping someone else out of the bike stand you pay their tip and your tip because there's a good chance that the next person who comes in who thought their bike was going to be finished and instead your bike is the one that's finished, you know, maybe they aren't going to tip. And then there's the one more thing repair uh, where you show up and you say, oh, I just remembered, can you also do this? Put a little extra in there. Just in, in general, take care of these guys because they are so skilled and it's not like the bike shop owner can pay them more money because they are not making a ton of money either. It's uh, These are people that we need, and we got to take good care of them. Well, Fatty, thanks for, thanks for blogging about this and putting it out there. I mean, I think it, it does yeah. need to be said. I mean, somebody needs to come forward and say, look, we, we need to take care of these people because a, a problem might be that bike shops just frankly don't charge enough. That's why they don't pay their mechanics enough. I mean, I don't know all the economics behind the bike shop and what happens there, but clearly at less than $30,000 a year, which is the average salary for these folks, you know, somebody has to help try and make that up. Yeah, 20 bucks here and there is not going to do it, but sure it might help. So thank you for putting it out there and really setting some guidelines too for how people can proceed with this. Cash is king and there's a way, there's a scale here too where where these folks should be tipped, how they should be tipped, I should say. Don't just say, oh, I'm going to give them 15%. Look, here's here is some framework for how to tip your bike mechanic. It's at fatcyclist.com. So, Fatty, thanks for uh, posting. And we want to make it a paceline movement. Tip your waitresses, tip your staff, and tip your bike mechanic. We say let's, let's go for the gratuity here. Oh, yeah. All right. Coming up next on the paceline, we hit the delete key on some words we have heard all too often. It's going to be epic.
Pace Line is back and going full gas. We're turning the screws. We're making them hurt. We're on the rivet. <laughs> we say some pretty weird stuff as cyclists. Some of it, of course, has been immortalized in those uh, classic videos. I think we've all seen S cyclists say, the S word cyclists say. Now, my favorite one, uh, as I was looking up this topic, uh, was one titled S Mountain Bikers Say, because it seems that mountain bikers really have the market corner on uh, the superlatives uh, often used by cyclists. So stoked on this trail. So stoked on water. So stoked on this bar. I'm so stoked. So gnarly. Gnarly. So sick. So sick. You were so sketchy, man. So rad. Epic. Epic. So the pace line for the first time enters (laughs) the drop zone as we go over words or phrases in cycling we'd like to just get rid of the stuff we've heard all too often we've engaged uh, some paceline listeners on this uh first we want to turn to uh the fatcyclist.com fatty uh you of course have your probably have your own words you'd like to just ripped from the lexicon of cycling but what have you heard from folks and and what are some of the words you'd like to see just deleted well, my, mine probably everyone would already guess, but I would like to see the term rule number five deleted from cycling <laughs> lexicon. So, Yeah, you're going to have to explain rule number five. Not everyone's really f- – in fact, I, okay. I had to educate myself on where sure. this rule, these rules were coming from. Yeah, the, the Velominati uh, and rule number five, HTFU, harden the F up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm ready for that to go. And I talked about that in my blog, so I'm not going to go deeply into that. Other word I would love to see go is doper, but maybe not for the reason you would think. Uh, specifically, I think that doper is an underloaded term, that what we need to use is instead the word cheater. That if you are, you say someone is a doper or a mechanical doper, it's all just an abstraction of what someone actually is, which is a cheater. And yep. we all have a much more visceral reaction to what that actually is. Amen. So. Yep. So yeah, We've kind of been softened up to doper, haven't we? We have. Oh, he's a doper. He was a doper. Yeah. yeah we all know. Doper, they were all dopers. Yeah. Doper just sounds like dummy, kind of, mm-hmm. right? Cheater. You know, we all, we all dealt with cheaters when we were kids, and I think we're a little more hardwired to feel what that means mm-hmm. so that's the word i i propose we use plus the, since as the number of ways that cheating can be accomplished grows associating that to doper mechanical doping for example you know it's not doping that's just cheating it's all yep. cheating right so yeah, that's i say get rid of doper let's just start calling them cheat you know it's a doper cheater a mechanical cheater right that what that we are seeing here so that's that's a word I would like to get rid of, doper. But I have I posed the question: Suppose you could de- uh, delete a word from the cycling lexicon on Facebook, and I got so many good replies, so many. The first one from the uh, lovely and talented Kim Dow, epic. Uh, I think you already had that one there, but uh, lots of people agreed with that one. Uh, Bonk, I think not because of the word. Bonk is a terrible word, but just having that bonk happen. The word supple, legend, chapeau, hero dirt, compliant, UCI. UCI? <laughs> yeah. 
I think I, I think that there are some folks who aren't super happy that UCI even exists. Disgraced. <laughs> Fred. I agree with that one. I would love to get rid of the word yeah. Fred. Um, not that I want to get rid of people who wait, are Wait, wait. What does Fred, Fred mean? I, I've heard Fred before. I Fred. Does it mean just you're clueless? You're clueless? Oh, okay. Yeah, just clueless. Yeah, just people clueless, okay. people who are called clueless writers. But you know what? We all started out clueless. Do we well, re- it's used in reference to the guy usually riding around with the uh, with the chain grease on his calf. I, you call him a, that's a Fred Mark or right? That's what I hear all the, the time. Fred tattoo. The yeah. Fred tattoo. Okay. Or I've heard, yeah, I've heard that called a rookie tattoo, and I say, you know what? Hey, they're on a bike. Let's not let's not give that person any crap. Let's go ahead and let that person be happy and enjoy yeah. their time on the bike. Let's welcome them. Yes. <laughs> How about that? Yes. Suitcase of courage or otherwise. All right. Okay. <laughs> all, all suitcases hereby dismissed. <laughs> KOM and Strava within two of each other there. Uh, some, some Strava hate going on there. Recumbent. <laughs> junk miles. Flat. Oh, I like that one. I would love to get rid of flats. Pain cave. Mm. <laughs> left in on ex- with exclamation points as in on your left and distracted driver that was the last one i think that would be a lovely term to get okay. be able to get rid of just because it doesn't happen anymore yeah some good entries there all right let's let's move on to patrick now you uh, patrick you're a wordsmith you work with words all the time but there there must be a few that a, you absolutely do not use in any blog post, and B, you never want to hear again. And, and what are those? Yeah, well, so I'm I'm coming at it, yeah, purely from the lexicography. Uh, you know, I I hate mechanical doping. You know, we've already covered that. But another one, gravel grinder, and you got this as a response as well, Michael. Um, it's it's just it's not a gorgeous term. You know, I I really prefer. I mean, you got to have. You got to have a substitute. If you're going to pull something out, we still have a thing to refer to. Uh, and instead of gravel grinder, I'd like to go with multistrata. That's my solution. Multistrata. It's a real thing. It's what they say in Italy. It refers to you know multiple road types, and that's what it is we're doing with those bikes. So multistrata. That's okay. my solution. I want to go back to mechanical doping real quick. What's the issue there, so folks know? It's just, it's not doping, you know, it's just cheating. And to Eldon's point, you know, cheating is plainly not socially acceptable. It violates the social contract. And we all have a pretty strong uh, reaction to it dating from childhood. It's just something you didn't do. And I think reinforcing that uh, for the cycling world, um, it's high time we did that. Well, I always thought that mechanical doping um, explained it to people who may not be totally familiar with what's going on. Uh, In other words, if, you say mechanical doping, they go, oh, that must mean they're cheating mechanically somehow. And yeah, that's why we say mechanical cheating. Or just say mechanical cheating instead. Yep. Motorized cheating, whatever. Yep. But just let, let's stick with the cheating part. Okay. Got it. I'll go with that. Um... Here are mine. Um, Epic was the one that came right away. And Epic is, you know, I just hear it thrown around too much. Again, it's almost like doping. We've become desensitized to the word Epic. Like, 
I went on this epic ride. I, I had an epic breakfast. I uh, had an epic sleep. Everything's become epic now, and I think it's kind of ruined it for the tr- the things that truly are epic, like maybe the Breck Epic, which is absolutely... I've not done the event, but it seems like a fabulous event, and it certainly deserves to use the title epic over your epic recovery ride, which doesn't deserve that title. So <laughs> epic, to me, has just been beaten just into the ground, and it's it no longer carries the, the real weight and the real... The real thing that it ought to. The other one is, and I love the man who came up with this term, and I and I think he did a, a great and wonderful thing with his career, and certainly had a long career. But shut up, legs. I guess is one that I can. If I never heard it again, if I never saw it on somebody's T-shirt or top tube, or somebody think it was the funniest thing they'd ever heard again, uh, I I wouldn't be sad. Yens uh, Yenzi had a fabulous career, and he certainly raced above and beyond. Um, you know, his talent levels, and he, he deserves credit for coming up with some great phrases, but shut up legs is one I just, just shut up. It only I, works I, coming out of his mouth. If anyone else says it, it just doesn't work. This is you're one ab- where we could patent, you know, it's just, it's his. You're, you're absolutely right, Patrick. I mean, just like uh, Michael Buffer, let's get ready to rumble. I think only Jens Voigt should be allowed to say, shut up legs with his German accent. Yeah. Uh, like you, Fatty, I got some responses, too, for this on Facebook. Um, Brap came from Brian Perkins, a teammate of mine. Brap. Now, I've heard Brap used by a couple of folks, um, including some uh, – this comes from the mountain bike world. I think it's referring to Brap as like what a, the sound a motorcycle yeah. makes. So when you, yeah. when you rail a turn, you Brap a turn. Um, he's a little tired of Brap. Hmm. Uh, this is interesting. Triathlete. Oh. Triathlete. Uh, I guess we want to say multi-sport athlete instead. We Too cyclists, many sports one day. We cyclists are so mean to try guys. It, it <laughs> The snobbery. Oh, man. Yeah, we are. It's true. So triathlete goes. Um, I got a gravel grinder. Rob Meshker from Road Bike, Road Bike Action uh, gave me gravel grinder as well, probably for the same reasons, Patrick, that you, that you discussed. Pro. How about pro? He's pro. He's so pro. A little too much with pro, maybe? I do have a Fred entry here. UCI <laughs> or USAC. Hmm. Kevin Hinton mm. ringing UCI or USAC. I guess he's tired of them both. USAC is taking some punishment, too. And finally, Chris Gregory, uh, local South Bay uh, writer here. She's had some problems with some tumbles recently, so she nominated crashed as the word she'd like to get rid of. Crashed. Uh, I wouldn't mind getting rid of that myself. Yeah, me too. I've had a few falls this winter, and uh, crash would be one I think we'd all love to get rid of. So, are we left with any words we want to keep? What, what do we like? <laughs> <laughs> do we have anything we can say we're anymore? A, we're a very quiet group of people. <laughs> we cyclists are. Well, we, we know we no like words. cheater, right? We, <laughs> cheater is, is, a, is a good word now, right? Well, I mean, I'd like not to have to say it. Yeah, but it's the, it's the word we choose over doper. Yep. Yeah, well, you got to have a word. There's a thing you're going to refer to the thing, so you got to have a word for the thing. That would be cheater. Mm. And then for a, let's go over the ones real quick that came up a lot. Gravel grinder is now what then? Multi surface event, multi surface, multi strata. Okay, Let, let's get that one going. You're going to have to get people hooked in on the Italian there. Uh, I don't know what to do with UCI or USAC. I don't know what we're going to call those people. <laughs> well, there are all the various independent state organizations like OBRA, 
you know, and then, you know, here in California, there are plenty of uh, event promoters who just buy their own insurance, like Bike Monkey. You know what I'm surprised didn't come up, Fatty? Did you get gnarly or awesome at all? I got gnar out there. Gnar. Yeah, <laughs> which is short for gnarly. You know, when you just don't have enough time for the full two syllables of gnarly. Gnar. It, w- it was too amazing. You were incapacitated by it, so you <laughs> only got the gnar out. And maybe it's because we share those words with surfers. Gnarly and awesome. Maybe that's why we're, we can live with those. Gnarly and awesome. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep those then. I like gnarly and awesome. And uh, any others we, uh, we need to replace? I think we, we, we covered. Epic. Oh, epic. Do we, have, do we have something for epic? If not epic, then what? Uh, I just say let's restrict its use. You, you, okay. get, you get one epic per month. You get the same number of epics as you get exclamation points. <laughs> Excellent. And then with shut up legs, we've given to one man only, which is great. I think that's a, I think it's a perfect, uh, perfect idea for that. All right. I think great. this was the nerdiest segment we have ever done. <laughs> but <laughs> absolutely necessary. <laughs> so necessary. Should we apologize now? <laughs> It was an epic segment. <laughs> oh boy, that should that should adequately end this segment right there. <laughs> A twenty-seven point five, the wheel size. It's not just for mountain bikers. That's next on the pace line. He's going to turn himself inside out in the sport of cycling. We say he's going to bury himself. He's going to really hurt himself now for a couple more kilometers. Mergers and acquisitions continued uh, this week. Uh, last time on the Pace Line, we told you about Mavic buying Envy and the Wiggle Chain Reaction merger. This time, it's uh, Vista Outdoor, which currently owns Camelback and Bole, entering into an agreement with Bell, Giro, Supreme, and Blackburn for uh, BRG Sports, operated by Bell Sports Corporation. Uh, that deal is supposedly worth $400 million to buy the Scotts Valley-based uh, company. Time has also been purchased. Time, the bike maker, the French bike maker, by Rosignol Ski, Snowboard, and Nordic Sports Company. They have finalized a deal to acquire Time bikes. Rosignol uh, made the move after discovering logical similarities between the two companies. Skiers are often cyclists in the off-season and vice versa. Seems like a strange reason to buy a bike company, but Rosignol has gone ahead and bought its uh, French counterpart. Shimano is making cassette news. We discussed the SRAM 1050 cassette in an edition of the Paceline podcast. Now, Shimano has responded with a 1x11 cassette uh, in the 1146 range. They say it should provide more gear choices for all mountain and enduro riders. The cassette will be compatible with XTR and XT drivetrains. Seems like we have, guys, a little cassette war going on here between Shimano and SRAM. Anybody up for an 1146 cassette now? Well, one of the interesting things here is I had a conversation with someone at Shimano a few weeks ago, and they, uh, I did, while I didn't get the exact split of you know the number of teeth of each cog, their philosophy is a little different, and this is going to be handled as more, uh, the 46 will be a bale gear, and so the, the 10 cogs prior to that will be more closely spaced 
uh, and then jumping to that final cog, whereas uh, the SRAM cassette is more evenly spaced throughout. Mm-hmm. Fatty, how, what is your gear of choice on mountain bike, and do you, do you find you need more when you're running a one-by system? <laughs> One gear is all you need, man. Yeah. Well, you're you're a, a, a thirty-four by nineteen, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but an eleven forty-six does that? Does that what your appetite? Oh, the eleven forty-six is so epic. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I I suppose this is all a run up to Sea Otter, and we're going to see more of our, of these cassettes at Sea Otter. Um, and it looks like Shimano is jumping in in a big way to try and at least you know hold on to to their. Uh, share of the market. Additionally, from Shimano, some other news. A quick link um, is coming out from Shimano uh, for their 11-speed chains. I so, had to read that twice. I was so stunned to see that they were going to finally go in that direction. Well, they remember, they did it with the 7900 series of chains initially, and the quick link would wear out faster than the rest of the links on the chain, and then you would start getting chain skip even after a few hundred kilometers. So they, got, they quickly got rid of it and went back to the pins. Yeah. So now they are back with a, with a quick link that should work uh, for both on yeah, road and mountain uh, on the same chain. We want to move now to some uh, equipment news we've covered in the past here on the Pace Line. That's the great wheel debate. We had a nice discussion on the Pace Line about wheel sizes and what they all mean from 29 to 26 to 27 and a half. Now, Wilderness Trail Bikes has reignited the idea and the energy around 650B, or 27.5, with a new size of tire, 47 millimeter, pretty darn wide, 1.85 inches. Um, The idea works, they say, here and now, because of the proliferation of gravel adventure road bikes, which have kind of opened the door for conversions. Say you have a 700C bike, and you want to run a, a smaller or smaller wheel size on it, say 650B, they feel like there's room there to, to add these to those bikes or just buy a bike like the Slate, the Cannondale Slate, and put their tire and wheel system on it. So they've come out with a 650B, 47-millimeter tire, pretty wide, pretty stout tire. And it seems like, guys, this category, again, we're talking about like this kind of this gravel road 650 category is is getting a little energy behind it, especially when a company like WTB pushes forward. Patrick, what what is your perspective on this wheel size? We've seen it in the past. It's kind of coming back now. It, does it have a spot in the market? Oh, no question. I mean, you know, it's an opportunity um, for, especially for, you know, uh, kind of mid-stature and smaller riders to get a bigger tire without ending up with this huge 29er effect of putting a 40 millimeter uh, tire on a 700C wheel. You know, that really starts increasing the uh, circumference of the wheel. Um, this is a chance to get, you know, that, that larger volume uh, without, you know, kind of growing the bike unnecessarily. The challenge is going to be a 47 millimeter tire. There aren't many bikes on the market uh, that will accept that and you know either in the rear triangle or in the fork um, so you know it's it's this bike uh, this tire is not going to just start flying off the shelves there are a lot of builders who are going to have to build around that tire and I could see people you know getting a set of wheels built up uh, then uh, buying a set of tires and shipping those wheels and tires off to the builder to make sure that they can get the clearance necessary that's that's a whole lot of tire to fit in and it also means that you're going to this is going to be disc only 
you're not going to be running this with any caliper in existence because none will reach around that tire. Mm-hmm. Fatty, I know that in your garage, you try to keep wheel sizes consistent. Have you seen any reason to, to look at or wonder about 650, whether it be for road or dirt? Where, do you, where does this fit in your arena of wheels? Look, all I ask is that if we're going to have this many tire and the, therefore tube sizes that we start color coding okay <laughs> totally agree. I, I need i need my 650b tubes and my 650b tires to be the same color as each other similarly you know my my 29er tubes and tires they need to be the same color otherwise there is no way that i am not going to wind up trying to execute a field repair on a mismatched tube to tire. Yep, totally agree. That's actually an excellent idea. Stripes, uh, something. Yes. I don't, <laughs> color code the stems even on the on the tube. Something like that would be great. Again, the tire is called the Horizon 47 millimeters. It's a tubeless compatible tire. They make an accompanying rim. Um, they say it's going to fit on other gravel bikes. There is the Cannondale Slate out there, by the way, which I rode at Interbike, at the outdoor demo this year. Um, that's, a, that's a bike designed around this wheel size. Um, I was, you know, for a short ride, I was impressed with the bike, thought it was interesting. But, and there are, other, there are other tire companies out there who are making this size of tire for this application. Bruce Gordon, Compass, Panaracer, Soma, Surly, V-Tire, Maxxis, they all have tires in this class none with this width patrick i think you're right the girth is going to be an issue will that size of tire fit in between seat stays and and forks is there going to be enough room on a bike that's not built for this size so this will be interesting to see how it plays out whether the market actually takes to it um but again wtb out with the horizon 650b 47 millimeter tire uh one more item here on the pace line guys and that is Evelyn Stevens, we talked about her last week, going for the hour record, and she did it. We want to say congratulations to Evie. She rode uh, 47.98 kilometers in a near-perfect hour under the dome in Colorado Springs. She, of course, took the record away from Bridie O'Donnell, the current women's world hour record holder, by a kilometer, in fact. Pretty good effort. Uh, Evie is a two-time U.S. national time trial champ, so she's used to this type of effort. Um, she missed the all-time mark set by Jeannie Longo, uh, who set it down in 1996. But Jeannie used the Superman position. Now, why, Patrick or Fatty, why were we obsessed with whether or not she would surpass Jeannie? I mean, isn't Jeannie's record, for all intents and purposes, non-existent because of the position she used? Well, or do I, we still care? It's a mark that's out there, and it would be nice to have a clean cyclist have the, the highest mark. Um, and she did get close to that. In fact, in the in the final moments, she only fell behind Jeannie's mark just in her final few laps. So she, I think, clearly in Evie's mind too, she was attempting to to wipe that slate clean and say, "Look, this is the mark. This is what it's going to be from here on forward." But congratulations, to Evelyn Stevens. Yeah. Well, maybe she'll take another run at it at some point. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see her put away the record, you know, once and for all from the standpoint of. You know, cleanest uh, clean cyclist holds the record. Fatty, are you happy to see the the hour record make its 
return this effort and this the attention it's getting? I am happy to see that. And I, I, I see exactly what Patrick is saying about it would be nice to have the highest of the high watermarks be uh, pegged by someone who is uh, who does not have the taint of uh, cheating on uh, on her. That said, I can just imagine Evelyn shaking her fist at Patrick right now, saying, "That has to be good enough for you for right now." <laughs> well, it is. It is. I, you know, I'd, I'd hate for anyone to think that I was denigrating what was a flying ride. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. What she did is amazing. Full stop. Um, yeah, absolutely. Hey, and while we while we are on uh, women doing amazing and impressive things, I want to give a quick little shout out to Madeline Bemis we talked about in a previous episode of the yep. pace line who uh won her u23 category and was i believe the fourth or fifth fastest woman overall in the 24-hour world championships wow. so awesome the 17 yeah. year old kid <laughs> epic i tell you <laughs> epic well in fact you had a lot to do with that because you helped raise funds for her you uh, garnered, or rather, got a little support going online for her, and that was very cool. We talked about her on the pace line as well. So, yeah. so now Man. she should tip you. She should say, she should send you a, a dirt clot or something. Well, from, he didn't work her. on her bike. <laughs> <laughs> the Fat Cyclist logo is on her jersey, and that is plenty for me. And I'm super stoked to uh, learn more about her. I'm hoping to do a, a follow up podcast call and uh, hear her story in depth on the Fatty Cast. Yeah, well, let us know when you hear from her. That'd be awesome. Um, Seems like a great spot to wrap up this edition of the Pace Line Fatty, thefatcyclist.com, and the Fatty Cast, both busy locations. What's been going on there? Well, on uh, fatcyclist.com, I'm currently working on writing a post about the correct speed to ride your bike because I finally figured it out. I smell a Pace Line segment. (laughs) Awesome. And Patrick, Red Kite Prayer has all your NABs wrap-up and picks, and what else you have in the works? You know, I, I know I've got a couple of bike reviews and other things that I'm supposed to be working on. Quite honestly, right now, I've got at least three more posts concerned with NABs to come. Good. And more pictures. Oh, amen. Because uh, we love the photos. I mean, that stuff is... Uh, that that is the bike porn we can all live with. Oh, that was a term we should have gotten rid of. Bike porn? No, <laughs> nope. We're good with that. flashback. No, we're good with that. Okay, we'll keep we'll keep bike porn. Awesome. I, I understand that photos are worth a thousand words. Oh, is that one we <laughs> you want to eliminate that too? No, no. Okay, I'm just being a dope. <laughs> All right. Hey, the pace line can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, FatCyclist.com, and RedKitePrayer.com. At RKP, you also find show notes and links, and you can leave a comment about what you've heard. We might even read your comment on the air. So for Fatty and Patrick, I am Michael Houghton. We'll talk to you next time on The Pace Line. Thanks for listening. So sick. So sick.